Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Kia ora and hello. I've been asked to tell you about No Labels, the radio show for, by, and about people living with disabilities. The show offers interviews and news about the disability sector in Aotearoa, New Zealand. On Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. Find us on Facebook or go to www.accessradio.org.nz. No labels, our voice for you on Access Radio. And welcome to this edition of No Labels for July. We have a new format for No Labels moving forward from July. We will be recording two shows a month. I will be doing a show and Mike will be doing the second show. And so we hope to be able to bring you two shows plus maybe a few extras in between each month. This is very much appreciated from support from Wellington City Council who have made the additional shows possible. So thank you, Wellington City Council. This month, our first show, we're going to be looking at research, how that's impacting, what's coming out of some of the research, and how that will make a difference in the lives of members in our community. So this month, we in this edition, we have two guests. We have Robbie and Umi. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Robbie, um, can you tell us a little about your role, what you do, who you work for, et cetera, and why you work there? Yeah, thanks, Thomas. It's a, it's a real pleasure to join you today. Uh, so, as introduced, my name's Robbie Francis Watsoni, and I am a senior researcher at the Donald Beasley Institute. And I've been working at the Donald Beasley Institute since 2018, when I finished my PhD at the University of Otago National Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies. And I was brought onto the project um, at the Disabled Person-Led Monitoring of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in Aotearoa Project, which is a bit of a mouthful, but we're <laughs> going to get into that today and explain a little bit more. So, um, in short, I have the absolute pleasure of leading a team of disabled researchers who investigate human rights violations for a reporting process, which we'll get into a little, a little bit more soon. Cool, great, thank you. And Umi, um, what's your role in, um, in research and, and supporting the work that's been going on? Thank you, Thomas. So my role, um, official title that I have working in the Donald Beasley Institute is called Junior Research Fellow. And my role in this project that Robbie has introduced now is a project coordinator. So I work as the bridge between participants and the interviewees that we have and host, oh, yeah, oversees all the project documents and things like that. Wonderful, thank you. So, Donald Beasley, um, what is Donald Beasley and what's its sort of main aim and focus? Robbie? So the Donald Beasley Institute is a research institute uh, right. based in Ōtipoti Dunedin, an independent charitable trust. Um, and we're recognised internationally and nationally as a leader in the field of disability research. So um, 
historically there's been a focus on people with learning disabilities and co-designing uh, inclusive research with them but in the in the more recent times our work has really started to look at uh, disability rights issues for all disabled people particularly through this project we're talking about today um, but we also do a bunch of other stuff as well from uh, research and evaluation to writing to uh, education, lecturing, uh, and all, all of those good things that come with it. Right. So we're going to be talking about some, some work that was released um, earlier this year, th three very large um, documents, very reviews. And the one we're going to focus on is housing, but maybe if one of you would like to tell us about the the three reports that were released and a little just about them to get people's interest, and we'll talk about how they can find out more about those reports and where they can access them from later in the show. So, um, the project that Robbie has introduced is a project that is used to monitor the rights of disabled people in Aotearoa. Mm -hmm. especially against the United Nations Convention. And uh, we have run the project for the past three years. And the report that has come out was on the topic of housing and health and well-being. And first two reports was about the housing. And the second report that's attached to the first housing report was uh, from the perspective of family, family and co-supporters of people with complex disabilities mm -hmm. and so yeah sorry my words are not working well this morning but um each report uh, focused on people's experience in these areas and the reason why we produced the second report that was on the same topic of housing was because we were not able to include family final co-supporters of people with complex disability in the first set of housing report because of the um, methodology we used um, and ESCO standards that we have, which meant that we were not able to talk to people who couldn't give informed consent by themselves. Right. So as a way of including people with complex disability, we produced a second housing report, which was from the final and co-supporter perspective. So maybe Robbie can talk better and then edit this part out because I did such a terrible job just now. No, you did a great job. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, reading the documents, you know, they are a huge read, full of great information about you know, issues facing this, the disability community. And uh, I must admit, I was aware that the work was happening, um, but really wasn't high on my radar to, to look at initially. But when those reports were released, um, I know Blind Citizens New Zealand and DPA certainly you know, were promoting them. But when you start to read them, you really get a, a real sense of you know, the huge barriers that are out there facing the disability community as a, as a whole and as an individuals. Mm. Um, and the, the third document, um, Robbie, what's, what's the sort of um, background on that one? So with the, uh, the initial two housing reports, 
uh, one thing that came out of the reports was the inherent link between housing and disabled people's health and well-being. Right. So instead of picking topics in isolation to look at, whether you know uh, there could be a range of topics we could look mm -hmm. at, but we decided to use what disabled people told us and really hone in on the interlinking issues. So naturally, what came out as the next topic was health and well-being, and um, you know there's there's no denying that a lack of adequate housing leads to adverse uh, experiences uh, physically and psychologically, mentally, spiritually, and we really saw that link. So that's why we went with health and well-being, and uh, we actually have a new one, uh, a new cycle of monitoring that is about to start, which again was taken from the health and well-being and the housing, which looks at supports and services. So as you know, uh, new ministry uh, on the way or has just been established, yes. and one of the main tasks of the ministry is trans um, is transferring from the former health and disability uh, support services to the new enabling good lives um, model. So the next cycle of monitoring will be looking at how supports and services are being rolled out under the new model. Great. So if we look at sort of some of the methodology that's used and who was involved, um, Obviously, you, um, people were being interviewed um, were disabled and whanau. Um, who actually did the interviews? With, um, was that, you know, were, were they disabled people themselves or were they people just from the community who uh, 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 sort of have a background in um, interviewing customers, clients, etc.? So I will just go back a little bit yes, with the points that I missed before. So this report um, is New Zealand, Aotearoa is signatory country to the United Nations Convention. And as part of that, the government is obligated to monitor the progressive realization, how the government implement this convention to the real life. And the government is also obligated to um, give the task to disabled people themselves and their representative organization. So the DBI has been commissioned by the Disabled People's Organizations Coalition and the Office of Disability Issues to run this project to talk to disabled people. And because this a project has to be done by disabled people themselves. All the people who interviewed disabled people were also disabled. And everyone in the team has, from the project lead, Ruby, and myself, and e interviewers, and even the transcribers have disability. So we are a team of completely disabled people. Wow. And I think that 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 is a real, and I think there are two things for me that that I think are really important um, that you've just touched on, is the the real links to the UN Convention, and the fact that all this work is being undertaken by disabled people themselves, um, and I and I think you know, that that itself is a real credit a to the work, but also to um, Donald Beasley Institute for you know leading the way because you know so often we hear about research that's done 
where you know disabled people have been interviewed, but it's been able-bodied people. Um, all the people managing the process have been able-bodied, and this is very much about disabled people um, working together, speaking for disabled people. So I think a big thumbs up um, to you guys on that. So the UN Convention, um, that's you know something we hear a lot about, but don't often see a great deal of um, flowing through to the community. You know, we, we go and talk and lobby local councils and we hassle government about various things, but don't always see a great deal of um, relationship to the UN Convention. But obviously that you guys, when you've, um, you know, the, the background to this and, and the um, work behind it is very much about the UN Convention. So with the reports and the research that you that you undertake, where does where does it end up going from from there? How does it you know, bring about, I guess, or influence others to make a difference? I know it's it's probably a <laughs> it, it's a it's a really good question, Thomas, and it's a it's a big one. But it is, um, you know, as Umi mentioned, there are uh, there are processes to monitor that the government is doing what they say they what they signed up for, basically, mm. yep. and that includes reporting to the UN periodically. We've actually got a, um, a reporting process come up. We've had one in the past. We've got another one coming up. It was delayed by COVID, but mm-hmm. it's okay. We're we're, we're on the way. And what this research does is it provides the civil society component, the civil society voice, disabled people's voices saying, okay, so the government is saying they've done X, Y, Z to um, progressively realize our rights. But this is how we as disabled people experience it on the ground in real life every day of our lives. And sometimes they can be positive things and, and positive links between the two. And sometimes there are discrepancies. Sometimes what is what what is said is being done is not how people are experiencing it on the ground. So what we do is we're providing uh, experiences, narratives, stories, evidence that contributes to that reporting process. But I think more than that, what we're passionate about at the Donald Beasley Institute is ensuring that our community are also aware that we have this tool of the convention. It's it's for us. It's for us as a, as a way of holding uh, people in positions of authority accountable to our rights. And I think we can use it in a, in a bigger and better way. Um, it's not about naming and shaming, but it is about um, knowing what we have a right to and knowing that anything less is not enough and that we can work together towards um, solutions. And I think one of the interesting findings uh, that came out of the research was that a lot of the people we interviewed um, actually didn't know about the convention. So even though they were aware of their housing rights or maybe they were aware of what they should be entitled to when it comes to housing, uh, they weren't actually aware that they have a right that says disabled people have a right to live in the community um, with choices equal to others, Article 19 of the Convention, and they have a right to an adequate living situation, including housing, Article 28. So these these are what the government has signed up for. And so what our research is is saying is, well, what is actually happening? 
Yeah, and I think so. That's that sums that up really nicely because it is a huge, huge topic. And I know you know there are a number of people involved. We had the IMM um, workshops online earlier this year, and you know there was a lot of a lot of comments made about you know how government or how people didn't think government were were measuring up. But it's those stories that paint the real picture and give the detail and the experiences of how something is not happening or how something is happening. Um, yeah. So we're going to go with a song. Umi, what's your song and why? Um, I chose a song called Lost in Woods by Gaylin Weir, and she's an artist from the States, but she has the same disability as me called osteogenesis imperfecta and she's just a great artist and has a great message too so i wanted to share that song with you wonderful well, let's go when you were lost in the woods you were misunderstood by everyone everyone you were searching for words but they came down absurd and no one heard you no one heard you speak your Never heard that um, her before, let alone that song. So that was that was really great to. I always like to hear about new artists and um, songs I've never heard before. Um, well, music is a really important thing for me, and I'm always liking like, wanting to explore um, new music and new art, new artists. So thank you for that. Now. The building um, research that was undertaken, what were some of the barriers that I, I guess we, you know, we all can think of, oh, yes, there's going to be this, this and that, that were um, barriers. But what were some of the, the biggest barriers that you came across and some of the ones that were not expected? Mm -hmm. Who would like to answer that one? 
Um, well, in the report, we have um, we have structured the the findings and. Yeah, some of the bigger ones are what you might expect, physical access, yeah. financial access, um, stock, as in the, the housing, accessible housing stock that exists in New Zealand. I think for me, the one that kind of jumped out at me uh, was the psychological and safety, psychological and physical impact of living in an inadequate house. So for many disabled people we talked to, they lived with existing disabilities. But a lot of them mentioned that uh, whether they were, um, so sorry, in that circumstance, they actually had acquired further psychosocial disabilities because of their living situation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that's, that's going backwards. That's not going forwards. Yeah. Um, that's, that was really quite shocking to hear about the emotional distress, the anxiety, the depression, and the impact it had on the relationships around them was extremely negative. Um, and there were plenty of stories that came out along those lines. And also for family, whanau, close supporters who were caring for someone with uh, disabilities, they were also, because of their living environment, because of their housing uh, situation, were at risk of injuring themselves and also, again, acquiring uh, psychosocial disabilities because of directly related to their housing situation. So for me, that was one thing that really um, has stuck with me from the researchers mm. hearing the stories. Umi, what, 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 was, um, what jumped out at you from the findings? Um, one disclaimer is that I came to this research from the second report so I wasn't part of the process of the first housing report but I joined the team from the family and panel co-supporter perspective report and through doing that um, what jumped to me was the family really wants to keep their family with them and live with them but oftentimes because of the inaccessibility of the house and lack of support that's provided by the provided to the family, um, they were sometimes unable to keep living with the family member and have to place them outside of home. Um, and the financial, just how much advocacy and financial um, resource is needed to meet the need of their family member because of the lack of support that is provided by the government were something that really stuck with me. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, for me, the report, um, while, you know, we hear in the media and there's been a few items on about, you know, social housing and the lack of um, you know, housing that's accessible and even worse in the sort of market to, to purchase properties there's even less houses that are built with accessibility in mind but the the challenge i guess for um rental properties is that so many of whether it's government agencies or local councils have moved away from having rental properties and, and leaving it up to the open market and most of those just haven't been designed with accessibility in mind. I know um, I was looking at 
the development that's, that's going to be rolling out throughout New Zealand and um, wanting to have intensive developments. And I was talking to a local council and said, so you're building these three and six story blocks. Um, where does accessibility come? And they said, oh, well, disabled people or older people, if they couldn't manage the stairs or the lift, they, they could always live on the ground floor. And I thought, well, you know, why should someone um, have to live on the ground floor? If I rent a property or I purchase a property and it's on the top floor and I'm able-bodied and then for whatever reason, be it through age or through um, illness or, dis or accident, then acquire a disability, does that mean I then have to shift? And there just doesn't seem to be a great deal of understanding from either councils when they approve developments that say that whether it's rental or whether it's for purchasing, that they, these must be built to a design standard that means that no matter what, anyone should be able to live in them. And I mean, obviously in an ideal world, that's what we would love, um, but we can't even get to a point where we have you know, 25% or 50% of, of housing stock um, should be accessible, whether it's for rent or for purchasing. Mm, so, right. uh, yeah. And, and I think um, one thing that gets forgotten in all of this is that uh, us as disabled people are rights holders. Mm. The convention gives us these rights. The government has signed up to it. So anyone who's working in the housing sector is actually considered to be a duty bearer. It yep. is their duty to deliver these human rights. But, you know, we see in the private rental space that it's a lot of, um, you know, ma and pa outfits is, is mm. kind of what I've heard it described as people who have an extra home who they rented out and they don't actually realize they have an obligation to deliver human rights through the rental of that property. And so I think there needs to be a lot more education around this, um, that, that there is that responsibility there. You're not just putting a roof over someone's house, head sorry, with a house, you are actually delivering human rights. And uh, when we get into that, that kind of way of talking about it, we start to see that actually this is really quite a, a serious and big issue. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, I was at a webinar with Wellington City Council and they were um, converting office space into apartments, which would be rent, rented out. And I remember someone on the webinar made the comment, well, yes, these look very nice. And yes, you have a wet floor shower area, but it doesn't look like from the plans there's enough room really to turn my wheelchair around to be able to you know, move from one space to another. Um, and where would I put my wheelchair at night? The bedroom wasn't big enough from what, what was shown on the plans to um, for that person to hop into bed and their wheelchair to be beside the bed. Mm. Um, and to me, you know, if councils are going to be creating new stock, modifying stock, then somehow there needs to be a way that, you know, Landlords have to provide healthy homes. So maybe the next step should be that landlords need to provide both healthy and accessible homes. Um, but it's, nice. That would be nice, being a bit <laughs> radical. But I mean, it's, it's what we should be aiming for um, because, you know, 25% of the population, you know, 
And as we all grow older, you know, people will, will then start to acquire disability, whether they whether they consider them a disability, but you know, their vision starts to go, they're not so their mobility is not so great. And you know, steps and um, raised areas become trip hazards, et cetera. And so, you know, we should be seeing that more housing is accessible for everybody. So I would encourage anybody to go jump online. And if they're not online, how best could they get um, copies of the research that have been done? What's the, is there a phone number, an email address? Because I, I know some of our listeners um, are part of the, the digital divide, and um, which is another topic we're wanting to talk about later this year, how we try and get more people um, from being digitally divided to not so much being digitally divided and being more connected. So yeah, so um, all of the reports can be found uh, on the Donald Beasley website um, and that's including in all of their accessible formats. Mm -hmm. So all of the official languages, we've got it in uh, audio, NZSL, easy read, large print, plain English, they say te Māori. Um, so that's housing, housing, uh, there's two housing reports and the health and wellbeing report. Now, if people would like to access um, the reports in um, hard copy, we can arrange for that as well, either by email, and you can email umi, U-A-S-A-K-A at donaldbeasley.org.nz, or you can give Umi a call. Umi, which number would, would is your preference for being contacted on? Um, the phone number for the office would probably be the best one, which is 03479-2162, or three. Four seven nine two one six two. Right. We'll arrange to have that posted out in hard copy, um, free of charge. So there are multiple ways that we can be contacted if someone would like, for example, uh, the New Zealand Sign Language video, but not through email or um, online. We can post it out on a USB. Um, we can we can work with whatever um, whatever method of communicating the research uh, is needed. That's we great. Also, yeah, we have a braille co hard copy that's already here. So if anyone wants to have a braille, please contact me also. Yeah, wonderful. You so noticed that on the website. And I and I must must commend you guys because you know so many even government websites you go to don't always have a full range of versions of um, alternative formats to choose from. And I think it's so important that we have that information in the way that we best can access information. So thank you for that. Um, so what other work is coming up for you guys within the disability community? Are you, um, have you been commissioned to do any more work? And if other organizations wanted to, could they contact you and ask you to undertake some research for them? Yes, well, to answer your second question, absolutely. Um, you can find our contact details on the website, click us an email, and we'll set up a meeting to discuss what you're looking for and how the Donald Beasley Institute might be able to help. Um, re research, other research projects we've got on at the moment, well, we have uh, uh, many, many on the go at the moment. Um, probably 
the, uh, the one that we're, we're working with at the moment is we're working with the Royal Commission of Inquiry into uh, abuse and care, state abuse and care, as well as um, some, other, some other research projects that you can see on our website working with right. the Ministry of Justice, Ministry of Education, uh, and various commissioned organisational projects as well. Right. With the work that you do, what sort of international coverage does it get? So perhaps that, well, in my in my humble opinion, one of the greatest <laughs> aspects of our work is that everything we do goes through a rigorous ethics approval process with the Health mm -hmm. and Disability Ethics Committee of New Zealand. And what this means is that our work is pub can be published internationally because it has been reviewed by experts in research. And so this work is recognised around the world and it's starting right. to get picked up. So that's a really exciting um, area. We've always been recognised internationally for our work with mm -hmm. the living disability community, but that's that's just growing and expanding. So mm -hmm. that's, um, that's something we're quite excited about. Right. So all I can do for our listeners is encourage you to get in contact, have a look at those reports. Um, as I said, I was just taken back with with some of the issues that were raised I think especially in the housing we all know you know a lot of the physical barriers around housing but some of the other issues that were highlighted that really impacted on people um, yeah it, you really do need to read it it's um, and I would just encourage you to make contact and get a copy or jump online, get a copy. Um, if you're a member of DPA or Blind Citizens, check out their websites or get in touch with them because I know they've been promoting the material as well. And so, um, but thank you, thank you both because I think the work that Donald um, Beasley Institute is doing is making a huge difference. Uh, I guess we just need to try and um, now see you know, where to from here and how governments can um, implement change to improve what, whatever it might be, whether it's housing, uh, access to employment, access to information, public transport, whatever. So now we have a final song to go with and Robbie, what is it and why? Awesome. Uh, so today I have chosen Poye by Patia Māori Club. Uh, now I have chosen this song because uh, my son is about to turn one year old. Um, he whakapapas to Natimuru Hauraki and Napui, and uh, we've actually just got him a set of his first set of poi. And so he's been toddling around the house. He's just learned to walk, and he's been waddling around twirling his poi and it's just absolutely delightful and I thought why not share that joy with the listeners uh, today I just love it I was just just imagining this wee lad you know <laughs> with poise in each hand turning them around and flicking them and and all of a sudden probably lo losing his footing and falling <laughs> over right. you've described it perfectly that's <laughs> <laughs> wonderful well let's go with, with your poi Thank <laughs> you.
was great to hear. And um, I remember that when it was released. Great song. Um, so thank you both for coming in today and really have appreciated sharing what you have around um, the work that you guys do, um, but also in particular the, these reports, because I think without the stories, the evidence that such research gives us, you know, we, we often it's just hearsay, it's someone raising an issue, but here are some real stories, here are some hard evidence that shows that you know, lack of housing stock in, in, in a particular instance you know, has so many side effects, impacts. Um, it's not just a physical barrier, it's emotional, it's, it's everything for some people. And the fact that some people have to live in different places because housing stock is not accessible for them is just appalling in today's day. So thank you both for coming in. Really have, have appreciated it. Would love to have you back when you have any other um, stories you wish to share and wish you well with um, any new work that's coming up. Thank you both. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Thanks. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.